All right, guys, we'll go ahead and get started. First of all, I welcome everybody back who was brave enough to come back. I feel like we scared some folks off, but that's okay because we got people to come back and take their place, which is awesome. So that's all good news. Um, first thing I want to say before we get started is as we were listening to Rick's message, and as he was going through um, talking about the next move of God, one thing that really struck me was how much that ties into exactly what we're doing here at the church. And I'm sure Rick is globally aware of, of the Darren Faith campaign, but when I was listening to it, it just really struck me how applicable that is because one of the things that we're really expecting here in this church through the Darren Faith campaign is the next great move of God and also through this class. And as I was uh, thinking about that, I wrote down some, some notes here and some of the things that Rick cites uh, that is going to have to happen before the next great move of God. First of all, he mentions character. And the, the funny thing about that is I was, uh, I was at a seminar last week uh, at University of the Cumberlands, and it was all about character, and it was about trust. And some of the things they were talking about specifically was this idea of integrity. And integrity is simply defined as having a set of principles that are congruent with your behavior. People see who you are, and you are who you are. And that's very important in all aspects of our lives, especially in money and uh, in our finances. And I think that as Rick was speaking, I started to pick up on some of that. The other thing he said that was going to usher in the next move of God was our kindness. And as you all know, a big part of being good stewards is giving like no one else is able to give because in the beginning you lived like no one else. We talked last week about the American dream and how a lot of times people try to live that preemptively and they try to do that before they're in a place to do that. And we're not condemning that. Where We're not saying, as we said last week, you know, not to buy a house or not to go on vacation forever, <laughs> not, to, not to buy a car forever and that sort of thing. But we have to live very frugally up front so that later we can live and give like no one else so that we can be kind in order to usher in the next move of God. Also, this idea of faith. As we've been sharing the Darren Faith campaign and we've been going throughout the, the different aspects of faith, obviously we have to depend upon God in order to work out our finances because a lot of times in my personal life it's a struggle, you know, with the finances to give it up to God, to trust God. I know Alex and I had this conversation just um, a few weeks ago. We were talking about how much we could give if we could give anything. And we started writing down some numbers and God gave us a number right away of how much he wanted us to start giving to the church. And it was the same number. It popped in our head at the same time, and we started talking about it. And right away, as soon as that seed started to be sown from God, and I knew it absolutely was from God. I knew it was a God thing. There's just no other way we came to that exact same number. It's a number we've never given before. Immediately, as God started to sow that, the enemy started to say, you can't do that. You're not capable of doing that. Your lifestyle is, is in such a way that you're not going to be able to uh, turn it down enough in order to give this amount of money to God. So we had that conversation, and we struggled with that for a little bit. But then we started to realize that this is all God's money, right? We started to build this faith, as Rick talked about. And, and I'm so happy. I, you know, I guess the word's delighted, right? I'm so delighted that as Rick began to speak that, I just began to see all of these connections because we're expecting the next great move of God and we're expecting it through daring faith and through this daring stewardship. The next thing that Rick talked about in his message was this idea of submission, right? This idea of authority. I think Donald said it best uh, uh, whenever he said that you can't be in authority unless you're under authority. We're all under the authority of God. 
And this is his money. This, these are his finances. We've been entrusted to give those in such a way that's going to be glorifying to his kingdom. And finally, the last aspect was worship. And a lot of people don't see their, their giving as an act of worship. Sometimes I conceptualize worship as lights and music and, and Carrie Beth singing and belting out those high notes, right? That, that's what I see as, as worship sometimes. And I have to back up and I have to remind myself that God is present in all aspects of my giving. And giving our money is one aspect of worship whenever we talk about giving to our tithe, for example. And one of the things that started to stir in my spirit is as we give our tithe to the Lord, we're professing our love. We're professing that we understand that he is faithful and that he is going to return that tenfold. And I, I'm living proof that he's done that in my own life as, I, as I've poured that out in worship, as I've praised him, as I've honored him. And we don't do it for the return. We do it for the giving itself. But the Lord is honoring in that respect. So I just wanted to make those connections because I don't want you to feel like this class is a completely separate thing from what we're doing uh, in the sanctuary. There are so many connections, and I can see, and I shared this with Donald, how the Lord has been moving in all aspects of this Daring Faith campaign. He's been weaving himself in. He's been introducing himself to, to folks who have never stepped out in faith and who have never stepped out in tithe and, and all of these different areas. So I can say 100% that the Lord is involved. So before we get started uh, with the agenda here, let's pray. If you all pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for the, the message that Rick delivered. We thank you for his heart. We thank you, Father, that you've called people from all areas of Kentucky to come into this place and just to be honoring to what you have, Lord, that you gave Rick a vision for our vision, Lord, and we're so thankful for that, that you have, you've pour, uh, given us spiritual fathers to pour into the lives of our spiritual fathers, Lord, and to pour out into us so that we can pour it out into this community. So, Father, I pray blessing over this class. I pray that you would be in the midst of us, and I pray that you would use this daring stewardship for your purposes, for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So the first thing we got here is a quick agenda. Um, I want to start by doing a quick review of session number one. Some of you are, like I said, new. I think we might have some extra papers. If we don't from session one, if you weren't here, we can get those to you. Um, but just real quick, if you flip over to uh, page number two there, right at the top is a review of session one. One thing we shared with you last week was that the number one cause of divorce in the American household is arguments over money. And that hasn't changed. That is a statistic that has held true for many, many years. So we have to be very intentional about protecting our marriages. And one of the ways we do that is through this idea of stewardship. We also gave you a blueprint for where to start. We said the first thing to do is to save $1,000. How many of you went home and sold a lot of stuff and came back this week with a $1,000 emergency fund ready to go, fully funded, fully stocked? Anybody do that? We did sell some stuff. Takita said they sold some stuff. <laughs> and listen, sometimes that's what it requires. We're going to show you some sample budgets here in just a little bit and how long it may take to, to gather up that $1,000 and to stockpile that, and we'll talk more about why to do that. Uh, the second thing that we gave you as part of the blueprint for financial peace is to stop using credit cards. That was a troubling teaching. I, I remember whenever I said that, I think a lot of people looked over at their, their spouse and they said, we're not coming next week. <laughs> but uh, it's true. And, and, you know, we went on to say to not only stop using them in order to stop the influence of those credit cards, you have to cut them up. And one of the things that I would encourage you if you have children is to let them be part of that process because 
I can tell you from experience, the, the day that you change your family tree, the day that you decide that debt and borrowing and having this list of masters, as we discussed last week, the day that that's determined and the day that you make your children a part of it uh, is going to be a day that they remember for the rest of their lives. I remember Alex joked about it last week. We sat down and we took out our credit cards and we chopped those up. We had a big hand uh, full of uh, you know, cut up plastic and we tweeted it at Dave Ramsey and you know, we said take a look at this and all that sort of thing. But I remember that. That moment I'm sure I'll be talking to my grandkids about because that was the moment that our family tree, you know, we purposefully decided we're no longer going to be slaves. We're no longer going to be servants to these masters who are not the one true master. The third thing, create a written budget with your spouse. If you're married, if you're not married, you still get on a written intentional budget. We're going to give you some very practical steps for that today. We're going to give you some tools to use in order to get your budget going. Number four, <laughs> this one's hard too, reduce your lifestyle. That's tough. We talked about preemptively living the American dream and you know, trying to live beyond our means we're going to give you some ideas of how to live within your means today. Some of them are kind of tough, but they're necessary. We also talked about the idea and the concept of the debt snowball. We'll come back around to that again today. And then finally, we gave you some percentages for how you can work out your debts and how you can figure out exactly how much money to allocate uh, into your budget for different things. Today, uh, Alex is also going to give you the biblical basis here in just a moment. We're going to talk about the concept of financial infidelity. Uh, we're going to talk about different ways to begin tracking your budget using either the Every Dollar app, paper budgets, uh, budget envelopes, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, and we're going to give you some practical ideas for reducing your lifestyle, all of which we have done. And we've, we've had a lot of, uh, it's been hard, but, it, but these are things that will make you more successful in getting your debt snowball going. Finally, at the end, we'll have time for questions and next steps. I told you last week I'm a nerd, so I always have to have a, an agenda and a, a list of objectives. Uh, if you've been on the worship team with me or in any area of leadership, you know I always come with a piece of paper <laughs> that says what we're going to talk about and what we're going to do. So here are the objectives for today, and we're going to keep you less than an hour. We're going to try to keep it around 45 minutes. I think last week was about 48 minutes. So... By the end of today's class, you will, number one, understand the dangers and pitfalls of financial infidelity. Number two, understand how to use the tools necessary for creating a budget. And finally, number three, understand the steps necessary to reduce your lifestyle so that budgeting is possible. So I'm going to turn it over to Alex to talk about the biblical basis. Okay, so we always... Um want to start with first things first. And like Shannon said, Rick's message ties into this. I'm going to give you a scripture that we all know and love, right? The tithing, the Malachi scripture. So we're going to go with Malachi 3.10. It says, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be the land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I'm hopefully going to give you a new, fresh perspective on this um, Bible verse there. If you read the chapter there that Malachi is talking about, God is talking to Jacob's descendants. And do you know what he's telling Jacob's descendants? He is saying, get your financial house in order and I can bless you. 
So we know that personally in this verse, there are three things I want you to underline that God promises in this verse. The third line down says, he will pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The second second thing that God promises to do is he will rebuke the devourer. I don't know about you, but I need a little rebuking, right? (laughs) God needs to rebuke the devil out of my life sometimes. And if it's in my finances, yes, rebuke Satan. Um, And then the third thing that God says here is that that our fields will not fail to bear fruit. And what that means is that our work will not be in vain. We will produce a good harvest. Our own personal testimony for this verse is about Harper. And you may have heard this heard this story a little bit, but I'm going to give you in the context of Malachi 3.10 what that meant in our lives. So when we finally got our finances in order, the first thing I said to Shannon was, when we pay off our debt, can we adopt a baby? <laughs> because I wanted that my daughter so badly. So we worked on it for a year or so, and we, you know, like I said, we had our ups and downs with it. But... We got to the point the next turn of the year, because you always make New Year's resolutions, that year we said, okay, we're really going to hit our debt this year. And so we did, and we started working on it, and we started saving some money. Because at that point, around September of that year, God said, okay, just pop this idea in our head, let's maybe see a fertility specialist about this. And so because our finances were in order, we were able to cash flow and go through that whole process without any burden. And immediately become pregnant after um, all the tests and everything that came back and all the procedure that was done we got pregnant the first time which really raised their percentage rates right because they were like oh first time but what happened is we got our financial house in order so number one God said that he would pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need we got our financial house in order and that she was our blessing we um, decided that once she was here always since we got married in 2008 that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom but three things had to happen for me to be a stay-at-home mom and all three of those things aligned with Malachi 3:10. so we got our financial house in order and then God's promises became fruitful in our lives number one for me to be a stay-at-home mom we had to receive financial blessing and to do that we were in bondage to a house that we no longer needed for two years it sat empty so Within that year of her being born in August, that house sold in November. The second thing is God says that he will rebuke the devourer. So what he had to do next for me to be a stay-at-home mom is in this process, I had to have a baby, (laughs) right? So he had to rebuke barrenness off of our lives. The third thing that he had to do um, is he had to give us a blessing in our work that our work would not be in toil in vain and it says it's his third promise your vine in the field shall not fail to bear to bear fruit so what had to happen the third thing is Shannon had to get a raise for me to be able to stay home and that happened all within the same year so Harper was born in August Shannon got a raise in August we sold our house in November and we had the baby for me to be the stay-at-home mom that I'd always wanted to be because our financial house was in order God's promises are yes and amen for his children so look at Malachi 3:10 in a new way um It is the promises and the blessings of God. Three things he promises you. He promises you there will be no more need. So don't be afraid to bring the full tithe to the storehouse. Don't be afraid. The second thing he's going to do, he's going to rebuke the devourer. Anything that's come up against you in your life, 
for me personally, that was barrenness. That was a hard thing to overcome. That was a hard thing to struggle with. But God rebuked that devourer off our lives once we got our financial house in order. And the third thing that he did is he provided blessing in our work. And so not only did Shannon get a raise, but I got a position that the Cumberlands didn't even offer before after going and talking to my supervisor. So, um, with the biblical basis there, marriage is so important to God. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the financial infidelity. And you may not even know that this exists in your life. So you want to um, just become aware and be guarding your marriage. So one of the things that we established early on last week is we talked about the fact that this has to be a partnership if you're married. We talked about the fact that the Bible establishes one flesh, one bank account. And I see hearts racing right now. <laughs> one finance, okay? One budget. And within that, full transparency in order to establish trust within your home, within your family, within your household. So there's this idea of financial infidelity. And you can be... Um, unfaithful in ways that aren't even necessarily related to the relationship itself. It's related to your finances because your finances are part of your kingdom work. Therefore, it's part of your family work by extension. So the idea of financial uh, infidelity, and I've got a few points here. I'm just going to run through them. Uh, Financial infidelity occurs when you make purchases your spouse is unaware of. And that's not to say, it, you know, you can't surprise them for their birthday, okay? I'm not <laughs> saying don't go buy your spouse some roses and, and some chocolate. Uh, oftentimes that will build trust, <laughs> okay? But one of the quickest ways to destroy trust is to go out and make purchases that are a lot of times self-serving or sometimes you say, honey, I, I bought you this car. It, it's all for you, right? Uh, I, I got this for you. We didn't discuss it. You didn't express a need for it. And it just so happens I need it Monday through Friday about 8 to 4.30, <laughs> okay? But the idea here is that you can be unfaithful in different areas of your life, and one of those is in your finances. Financial infidelity occurs when you hide purchases or receipts from your spouse, you, things you don't want them to see that you bought, things that you wouldn't want to share with them. I can see, are you guys receiving this a little bit? That's right, that's right. Financial infidelity occurs when you have hidden debts your spouse isn't aware of. In some cases, even credit cards or personal loans. Um, I listened to a story yesterday. I, I listened to the podcast of Dave Ramsey, and he has a lot of people call in. He's, I think he said, like the number three talk radio show in, in all of America. So you get all sorts of folks calling in from, from all over the United States. And uh, in listening to that, we listened uh, about a couple who, you know, the, I think it was the wife who was calling in. And she said that her and her husband had been married for something like seven or eight years, if I remember correctly. And within that time span, um, she just, just kind of threw it out there and just said, yeah, you know, I've got these credit cards he doesn't know about. You know, I use these credit cards. I try to pay them down. I've got my own bank account, you know, so there's nothing he has to worry about. We don't sit down. We don't, we don't co-budget. I budget. He does what he wants to with his money. He earned it. I do what I want to with my money. I earned it. Now, if you're listening to that and, and on surface level, you know, that sounds very much like having an affair. Right? That's almost exactly what we're talking about here. This idea that there is a distinct separation within your marriage, whereas one function is on the wife's side, one function is on the husband's side, and there's this idea of infidelity, and it occurs in the finances. 
The final uh, um, result, or rather cause of infidel, uh, financial infidelity, and this one's easy to do, all right? And this is probably the, the one that you feel um, less, most, least convicted about, right? You get cash back when making purchases without informing your spouse. Now, again, I'm not saying don't buy a candy bar. I'm not saying don't buy a Mountain Dew, okay? Um, but what I'm saying is that whenever you go uh, to the grocery store and you know you, you come up and you swipe that debit card and uh, you get that opportunity to get $10 back, to get $20 back, to get $100 back, right? What do you do sometimes? You think, yeah, you know what? I could use that $20. I could use that $100 or something I want. It's going to go right on the grocery receipt anyway. So in a lot of times, it's just going to blend right on in, you know, and then my spouse doesn't need to be any the wiser. I'm just going to pocket that money, right? Now, in your heart, you're not saying I'm being unfaithful. You're not saying I'm having an affair. But what's really going on in the spiritual realm is you are drawing a separation within your marriage based on your finances. And it's very dangerous, and it's something that you should avoid at all costs. You probably give two calls. There you go. All right. So the next thing I want to share with you is the way that Alex and I are very intentional about preventing this idea of financial infidelity, the way that we ensure that we're on the same page every month when the check comes in, when we both get paid, and we both get paid through um, direct deposit. So at the beginning of each month, and we're going to do this here, what, next Friday? Okay. Friday's when we get paid again. We sit down, and we try to do it exactly on the day we get paid because it's, it's been a scheduled thing for us for the last 10 years. Even before we knew about, uh, you know, trying to be financially free and having a peace of mind, we had some sense of knowing that if we were going to be successful in life, if we were going to be successful in our marriage, that we had to sit down at least once a month and we had to talk about this idea of money and where it was going because this is so important. Like I said, number one cause of divorce in America. So that's what we do. We're going to do it next Friday. We sit down. We pull up how much money we made. Sometimes it varies. Sometimes uh, we teach extra classes at the Cumberlands. We get an additional stipend. So that's the purpose of the every month. This is something that's not autopilot. And you'll find that out very quickly that a lot of times when you think your finances are going to be the same every month, if you get paid an hourly job, maybe you take off a day, whatever, it's not going to always work out perfectly and be able to put a rubber stamp on it and say it's ready to go every month. You must have a monthly family financing meeting. This doesn't take us long. We've been doing it for 10 years. We sit down. We look at how much we made. We look at what our priorities are. And I can tell you priority number one is tithing to the church. We write that check first. Before we make any other plans, before we determine what it is we actually need to live on that month, in faith, we write that check first, and we do not alter it. We do not change it. And I'll be honest, there were a couple times, I think one specifically in 10 years, where we messed up and we were devastated. We overspent and we underdelivered. So we'd written the check. It was for too much. We went back. We prayed to God and he gave us the, the confidence to, to go back and amend that because he knows we're not perfect. He knows he doesn't want us to just throw a check and offering for everything we have and, and expect, you know, which we, we can have expectations of God, but at the same time, what he, his expectation is first is the 10%. All right? So we have messed up. We, we've made a couple of mistakes over the last 10 years, but by and large, by putting that first, every financial freedom, every peace of mind that we've ever had about money has stemmed directly from the first thing we do with our money every time we get it by providing the first fruits of our labor onto the Lord. 
So we talk about the budget. We sit down um, and we actually we work this out in, in two parts. Alex is more of a paper person. I'm more of a computer person, all right? So I sit down on the computer and I pull up all of our bills. We do electronic pay for, for a lot of our bills. And, uh, but we also like to keep paper-based notes. So what we do is we have a notebook and each page reflects one month of paying off our, our budget and our finances. So whenever Friday rolls around and we get paid, we're, we're gonna have a page that right at the top, it says July 2017 and we're gonna list tithes. And we're gonna write down exactly how much we're gonna to commit to tithing. Then we're gonna list food. And we're gonna write down exactly how much we're gonna to commit to food and so on and so forth until every single dollar is assigned so that there is no doubt within the budget that we're being financially faithful to each other and more importantly, we're being financially faithful to God. So, what does it do? It creates transparency in the family budget. It removes all doubts that what you're doing is in the best interest of your family, in the best interest of your spouse. Number two, it allows both spouses to prioritize the spending for the month. Like I said, this isn't autopilot. This is something you have to sit down and you actually have to discuss every single month because every single month's situation is going to be different. I only have one birthday a year. Right? It's in February. If we want to plan for that, if we want to do something, if she wants to take a certain amount of that money and spend it on me, you know, or, or a large portion of that money, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever amount the Lord lays upon her heart to give to, to her financially faithful husband, you know. Uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, we prioritize, right? This gives us the opportunity to say, I want to put this amount of money here, and then we talk about it. Sometimes our priorities aren't the same, but in order for that month to be successful, in order for us to be faithful to each other and to the Lord, we have to negotiate until we get on the same page, all right? Number three, it keeps us accountable to the budget because ties, bills, and the debt snowball go out first, all right? And I'm, I'm going from some handwritten notes here. I saw some folks looking. We're still on page three, <laughs> okay? So it keeps us accountable to the budget because our ties go out, we paid our bills first, and then we pay our debts, just like we pay the ties, just like everything else. So we have to live by faith. Because that money is gone. Remember I told you we pay our debts electronically, right? Alex is working on the paper side. She's jotting down all the numbers and that sort of thing. I'm on the computer side, and I'm punching in exactly what we said we were going to pay. That check is going out, and that check won't be canceled. So we have to live by faith. We have to live by accountability. We have to live by transparency that what we said we were going to do, that what we committed to do has to happen. And sometimes it requires the Lord's help because we stumble and we mess up. And there's been so many times that because we put, gave God our first fruits that he's shown up. Sometimes we've overspent in a certain area. Sometimes something comes up and we have to have a mystery expense. Every time there's been a mystery expense, there's been a mystery income. Every single time in the last 10 years. We used to keep a journal because we said, this is so supernatural, we're going to have to write a book about this someday. We're going to have to share this in a testimony. We're going to have to put this together and, and show people exactly what the Lord can do when you trust in Him to provide. And it's all about faith. This month, something that happened that you know wasn't a need that we had this month, but it happened and it was it was a blessing. So it wasn't a, didn't meet a need, but it was a blessing in addition. We had a friend who we met through the pregnancy center. So she was a nurse there, and we've only seen her as we were traveling back and forth to check on Harper those first twelve weeks. That's the only way we know her, and she became a friend of ours um, through that. 
we haven't seen this lady in two years almost, mm-hmm. and um, she bought us groceries through like a HelloFresh account and had them delivered to us. So it wasn't that it met a need, it was just a strange blessing from God that, you know, that it doesn't, he wants to bless you, so get your financial house in order and write it down as you go. Like Shannon was saying, keep records, keep notes, because you'll see the hand of God in everything that you do. Yeah, the thing that was so peculiar and strange about what the story she's describing is, you know, we we had prayed about that. Remember, if you remember, we sat down and we prayed over the finances that month because one of the things that if we do lose it, if we do mess up, it's usually in the area of food. That That's usually where we mess up. That's usually where we lose step. That's, you know, we go into a restaurant, someone invites us out. We didn't budget for it that month. We say, ah, you know, we'll figure it out. And we go and we do it anyway. Sometimes we do that. Um, so we prayed about that. We said, Lord, you know, give us some wisdom on that. Give us provision on that. Give us a direction on that. And then he decides to bless us in the area of food. That's some um, almost stranger. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's just the general interactions you have with nurses in a, in a hospital. You know, we were friendly, but almost a stranger just out of nowhere contacts Alex and said, I bought your groceries. For a week. And we said, well, praise the Lord. I've got, <laughs> I've got a birthday coming up in February. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> but those are the sort of things that God allows to happen in your life when you're faithful and when you're a good steward. All right, I've got one more thing to share with you. I'm going to turn it back over to Alex. Still on page three. We're going to start sharing with you some practical ways to monitor and record your budget. We've used all of these. The first one is an app called Every Dollar, and there's other apps out there. Um, Travis and Nikita shared one with me last week. What was it called? Uh, YNAV. You need a budget. Yeah. Yeah. So there's other apps. Essentially, this is a money tracker. It's a way to see where your expenses are going. We used Every Dollar um, primarily at the start because as I shared last week one of the most important things you have to do with your money is that you have to give every dollar a name you have to give every dollar a purpose every dollar an assignment if you don't do it the enemy will if you don't assign the money to your family and then to the work of the Lord I can tell you that those are not the places the enemy will choose for your money to go and I'm not saying that you'll go out and you'll do evil things but sometimes not giving your tithe and going to Shiloh's is an evil thing. We've done it. And that's something that we've had to deal with and something that we've had to come to terms with because it seems so innocent, doesn't it? Don't the, don't the ways of the enemy sometimes seem so innocent and so sort of um, easy to recognize? But sometimes they're not. Sometimes we have to be reminded of those things. So the Every Dollar app, you can get it uh, www.everydollar.com. Uh, I've got some things listed from the website here about what it does. But essentially, what it allows you to do is to punch in your income to list all of the bills and utilities and things you owe that month, and then to assign every dollar of that income to one of those categories you created. Now, will doing that by itself do a whole lot for you? Well, it'll give you some motivation to start the process, but where the real work's going to come from is in your walk with the Lord throughout this process, in your faith. Because it's constantly faith building. Every time something like this happens, and I'm proclaiming that right now, I'm just going to prophesy that as you step out and you begin to work through fixing your finances and making things right within your family, the Lord's going to do supernatural things. I've seen it. In 10 years, as I said, there's never been an expense, an unexpected expense, where there wasn't an unexpected income as long as we were being faithful and following the plan. We can both vouch for that. Like I said, we've written it down. We might bring in some of those notes next time where we can show you specifically the date it happened and when it happened throughout the last 10 years. 
So the EverDollar app, um, get it, use it. I think you actually have to go on the website first before you can use it as uh, on your phone. Is on that the right? computer. Yeah. So you have to create an account on the computer, but after that, you can use your phone. Over to page four, you can see a screenshot of what the uh, website looks like and also what the app looks like. Um, but the real benefit to using a system like this is it prevents what we talked about with the financial infidelity, right? This is an accountability system. By having an app that both you and your spouse look at and by punching in exactly how you're spending your money, how you're using your money, how you're allocating your money, it becomes apparent real quick if every dollar has a name and you come up $100 short at the end of the month that something's happened. And at the point that happens, don't go to your spouse with condemnation. This is a hard process. It's a partnership. It's something you have to work out together. Go to your spouse. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to go to yourself, <laughs> you know, and you have to say, why did I do this, you know? But, but go to your spouse and have a conversation. And it can't be condemnation. It, it, it can't be just yelling at them. It can't be just telling them, this is what we agreed on. Can you not stick to this? Because this da-da-da-da-da-da-da and start, have you done that before? Yeah, it's... I'm looking around, you guys look like, you know, I, I've never had a budget before. So we've never gotten to that, po yeah, that point. But, <laughs> but I can assure you these are the sort of conversations that you will have, and they're, they're very serious conversations. Um, so with that said, I'm going to turn it over to Alex to talk about a different way to do it. Uh, you can track it electronically, or you can use a paper budget, or both. So, Alex. We have done it, like Shannon says, both ways, but I want to share with you our process that we use right now. Um, finances is a hard road to walk, to be strict with them and to do what you actually need to do with the money that God has given you. So we use a paper budget, like Shannon says. We have tried the Every Dollar app. Um, we did that a couple of times, but for us it didn't work out as well because I would go to the grocery store and I knew that that $1,000 savings account was tied to our regular accounts. So that money was there. That emergency fund was there. So if I went to the grocery store and I said, oh, I could have $100 for groceries this week, um, but instead I spent 150 well, it's going to be covered. We'll just make up for it in next month's paycheck. Instead of paying extra toward the debt, we'll put the emergency fund back. So that doesn't work so good when you're trying to pay down debt. So we have came up with a system that works nine times out of ten for us. Um, and what we do is a, is a um, like a two-fold system. So we sit down together, we go through, Shannon does the computer, does all of our online bills, and then what's left over, there's five things that we look at for what's left over. We look at what do we want our food budget to be for that month. We look at what does Harper need for that month because she grows like a weed and she always needs <laughs> clothes. And then, of course, her formula and um, food and things like that that she would eat. And then we look at... Um, clothes or entertainment or anything that would go in that category. We used to have a personal fund, but like I said, Shannon cut that so that we could get out of debt sooner. <laughs> it's okay, though, because I told him yesterday we might be selling a few instruments in the house, and <laughs> so I made up for it. And a mandolin. <laughs> no, but uh, so we were so we were talking yesterday um, about that, and so we were trying to think of things that would be applicable for you. So we have 
at the beginning of the month, like Sean says, we have our monthly budget meeting. We go through what we need for our month um, just to live on, our bare necessities to live on for that month, and then everything that's additional we put toward our debt. So it forces us that, A, we stay on budget, or, B, we have to take from that emergency fund. And the emergency fund is just what it sounds like. It should only be for emergencies. So if you get down, and I'll tell you, before we've been so hardcore, we get down to the end of the month, you don't have any money in your food budget left, so you eat pork and beans and peas as dinner. It doesn't take too many times doing that before you realize <laughs> that you're going to have to be more responsible with this budget because we were really hardcore about it a few months, and we said if we don't have any money left allocated in this food budget by the end, if we act stupid and do what we've done in the past, mm -hmm. we're going to force ourselves to be accountable to that. And we made that agreement. Of course, if yeah. you have kids, you don't force your kids. You don't to, force them to you know, be accountable. Good nutrition yeah. for your kids, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But obviously what you're doing in your life spills over into the lives yeah. of your children and what you're representing. So we there were a couple months where we came down to the end, and we'd been silly, mm -hmm. and we went out to Wendy's about – four times a week and we went Mexican. to Shiloh's and Mexican and all these other places and we came up with not enough money in the food budget. Now of course we could have taken it from the emergency fund, mm -hmm. right? But emergencies are only emergencies a lot of times if, if you didn't create them. All right. And we created this mess for ourselves. So we went shopping in our grocery cabinets, things we hadn't seen for a year in canned food. Man, we brought out the corn. We brought out the green beans. I'm telling you, it like it was bad. It tasted good, it was, okay? I didn't feed him anything that tasted bad. It, it was good. I'm not saying it was it was bad, but obviously, but I had to cook it. yeah, with, with every spoonful of, of uh, rice and every spoonful uh, of green beans, I was reminding myself, you need to act better. You need to straighten up <laughs> with your finances because look what kind of shape you're in. Look how hard you work. And look what you're doing with your finances and with your money, because it's certainly not the expectation God has for you. So, and remember, just another statistic that we covered last week: that when you go to a restaurant, it's a 300% markup. So, if you do give yourself a strict food budget, I would advise that you also give yourself maybe a little extra money for eating out, because it is going to cost you two to three times more to eat out than what it would cost you to make food at home. So, in our budget. Um, our food is all together because the way I do it is say we have, and I'll talk about these envelopes in just a moment, but say we have $100 in this for the week. If I spend $70 on groceries for that week, then we have $30 to eat on if we wanted to go out or something like that. So that's the way we do it, but it doesn't have to be the way you do it. Um, but I'll share that with you. So we created on our paper budget, we created a three-fold method. So if you were a family A making a $30,000 income, if you were family B, making a $60,000 income, or if you were family C, making a $100,000 income. We didn't go by the percentages that we shared with you last week because we felt like those numbers were a little bit too unrealistic if you were looking to pay off debt. So what we actually did is we did it a little bit closer to how we actually budget so you could see that. And then we'll tell you the categories that if you really want to pay off your debt quickly or to give more, uh, maybe you're not you know, concerned about your debt, but you should be. But say you just wanted to cut categories to give more um, in the area of your finances, then we can tell you what those categories would be as well. So the first thing you see is family A, $30,000 gross. I took 25% out because um, that's about what you get cut in taxes. So your monthly income would be about $18.75. That's your net pay. So the first thing is your ties. The second thing, we assume that a $30,000 income, you would want to keep um, your grocery budget pretty low for the month. 
so fifty dollars, one hundred fifty dollars to two hundred, maybe two fifty, just depending on how much you wanted to spend there. We did give you extra money for food in the entertainment budget, though. So clothing, twenty dollars. If you have um, kids, of course, you would be saving up right now to get ready for school to come back, or if you need new clothes, something like that. The twenty dollars isn't you only get to spend twenty dollars. It's you would save that for a period of time, so three months or five months and have 60 to to $100, and then you would take that money. Instead of spending 60 to to $100 in one month, you would save it up for three to five months and then take that amount of money and spend it on clothes. The whole methodology is living within your means. And sometimes we live outside of our means and we go out and we do things that we think we should be doing in order to compete with other people. I gave the example of being on Facebook and seeing, oh, they bought a new house. That's awesome. I want that. They bought a new car. That's awesome. I want that, and so on and so forth. And sometimes that gets us outside of our actual means, and that's where debt is introduced into our lives because mm -hmm. we realize within the money we have, we can't afford this thing we want. Therefore, we go, we sign up for a master, we get their money, and then we pay them these 27 28% interest rates, and that ties us up and puts us in bondage. Yeah, so there's a couple of categories I'll mention um, in just a second that you would save up for. So clothing would be one of those categories. If you know that your kids every August go back to school and you want to afford them new school clothes when that time comes back, but you know that your budget is very, very strict and very tight, so you would set aside a small increment of money each month and let that build up until the August came around or until January, maybe six months later, they had to have new clothes. So you would always just have a little savings set aside for if you've seen a good deal or um, if you, like, for example, if they did need to go back to school. Or like my brothers, they had to buy new school clothes two or three times a year because they grew so fast. So if you know that situation's occurring. Um, and, of course, it can be for you as well. Like, we buy Shannon back-to-school clothes every August because... He goes back to school as the dean or the professor in the classroom. I'm a growing boy. <laughs> so that's right. Yeah, growing, growing out horizontally. <laughs> so you know, you may have you know a work job where you want to buy yourself new clothes or something like that. Then you would set that money aside for a period of time until you collected as much as you wanted to take on your shopping trip. Um, the house, of course, is 25%. We just calculated that at 25%, so that's 469 here. Transportation and gas, this covers both your car insurance and your gas. So when you think about transportation, you need to think about um, also including that car insurance. Utilities, this is going to be your phone bill, your heat and energy bill, um, your cable bill, anything that you have that you have inside the home that's your utilities, you your water, your trash. On the 30000 budget, so. Yeah. Make sure you keep that in context, too. This is, again, living within your means. You may be looking at some of those numbers and thinking, man, that's low. How's anybody going to get by on that amount of money? The answer is that's the amount of money you have. Yeah. That's the amount of money you have to teach yourself to live on. And there's ways mm -hmm. to grow that money and to expand that money and mm -hmm. to invest that money and to make it pay dividends later on and into retirement. We're going to share that in the fourth class because it's amazing when you start putting retirement mm -hmm. into perspective and how quickly you can become a millionaire. And I'm not saying that's the purpose of what we're doing here, but if you, if you are a millionaire, you can obviously live and give like nobody else later on. So, sorry. Just wanted no, to put in context. Okay. Remember, that's a $30,000 budget. So if you look back at the food budget here, um, $150 is what we had. We also included an extra $100 in entertainment if you were someone who wanted to go out to eat and things like that, maybe to a movie. So that $100 would be there, which would mean you'd have $25 a week is how you would allocate that. 
Um, if it's a five-week month, those are very hard. <laughs> those are the worst, but so it would be $20. Um, the sinking funds. Now, what I said earlier about the clothing, clothing is also considered a sinking fund, but we broke that one apart just because it's one that people um, – still want. I have a friend who said that she could not give up her clothing budget, so she wanted that in her budget. Your budget works for you. You do what you want to do, okay? Uh, the sinking fund is birthdays, Christmas, car upgrades, anything that you're going to need to allocate a little bit of money to throughout the year. For example, oil changes come around about every three-ish months, right? So you know that that's coming up and that's going to be a $40 expense. So each month you save about eight bucks, then you don't have to pay 40 out of pocket at once. You've got the eight dollars each month. Instead of saying, oh, this month, you know, this month has just killed me. We've had to buy the kids new school clothes. It was time to get the oil changed. We had to buy new windshield wipers. Our hair, eat and hair, heat and air unit went out. All these things can accumulate and happen and make you feel like just stressed and out of control. But you do what's called sinking funds, and you put a little bit of money aside each month to make up for what you're going to need. So birthdays happen once a year. If there's three or four people in your family, then, of course, you would save up three or four people's worth of birthday money and you just divide how much you're going to need by 12 so you have it each month debt minimums in that debt minimum you'll see that it's not just credit cards not just loans that includes your car payment the purpose of getting out of debt isn't to stay in bondage to a vehicle to a motorcycle to um, a four-wheeler because these items Anything that has a motor is the quickest um, depreciating item you own. That goes down in value quicker than anything else you own. Um, so with that, when you're looking to buy a new car, you would want to buy a car that's two years or older because the depreciation hits up front in the first six years and most of it's fallen off in the first two. So you, if you're looking for something, uh, Dave calls them adult toys. <laughs> These are the big boy toys, like the motorcycles, the four-wheelers, the um, nice cars, the RVs. Then you want to look for one that's about two years old, and you want to buy that in cash. So the way you do that is if you know, okay, my car can still run for another two, maybe three years, I'm going to set a sinking fund aside, and I'm going to save up $25 a month or $100 a month, whatever you're going to need to get you your next car purchase so you start thinking about that so say you set a hundred dollars aside at the end of two years you have twenty four hundred dollars that you can go out and buy a little car with so you can open up separate bank accounts but the way we do it is we put it in addition to our emergency fund so we only have two bank accounts yeah we put it in the emergency fund then we track it on paper this much of the emergency mm -hmm. fund even though it says two thousand we know a thousand is the real emergency fund and then the other thousand is what we've saved up for christmas mm -hmm. for example and we just have to be real meticulous about knowing where those sinking funds are mm -hmm. but at your bank you can open up separate accounts and we tried that too that got a little yeah. too, we, too yeah. much yeah. we had four separate bank accounts at one time because we'd opened three savings to do it and we just decided like for us that that wasn't plausible, but if you wanted to do that. And then I've also seen, if you've seen those money boxes, you know, I'm talking about the metal ones that if your house burnt, it wouldn't burn your money. Um, I have seen, I'm going to show you some YouTubers that I follow here in just a minute, but they take those money boxes, they take that money out in cash every month, and they put it in the money box, and then they just sit that somewhere hidden in their house, like in a safe, and then they have it in cash. So there's different ways to do it. The way we do it, though, is that we just keep track of it. And in our emergency fund, because our emergency fund's in the bank, and we're not tempted to go into the bedroom in the safe and pull out $20 to go to Mexican. 
Well, we are tempted. That stops us from doing it. Right? So then I, w- I just want to show you pretty much everything stays the same from family A, B, and C as far as like, you know, it gets a little bit more money. But I'm just going to show you some of the areas that you would cut. So... You wouldn't cut your food budget in this category because I have it pretty much cut to the max. But what you could cut is you could cut your entertainment fund. So you say it's $100, $100, and then $200. You could cut that. You could cut um, some of the sinking funds. So, you know, if you're used to spending $500 a child on Christmas, maybe 250 or even 100 or even... 50, you know, just cutting those numbers so that you can pay more on your debt because, yes, right now that feels like a tight squeeze, that feels like a small um, amount, but think about in five years and your debt's paid off and you can spend $1,000 on Christmas, you know, instead of 20 or 100, whatever you would spend that year. Um, okay, so here's the big part of the paper budget at the very bottom, the debt minimums. So, each of them include a car payment, like I said. So if the person making $30,000 probably have a two, $300 car payment, family B, they're going to have a little bit more expensive car probably because they make a little bit more money. And then family C, they're going to have maybe two cars because that's probably a two-person income. Um, so you want to pay off those cars. You want to pay off any credit cards, any loans that you have. The extra money that we have at the bottom is what was left over after we took that 1875 and subtracted all of those debts, or that 3750 from Family B and subtracted all the debts, or that 6250 from Family C and subtracted all the debts. Those amounts go toward that debt snowball that we showed last week. So you pay minimums in the debt minimums category on everything except the little one. The little one gets attacked, and you put the extra money from your emergency fund on the little one. So what I told you is I was going to share with you kind of how this works for our family. So if you turn to the next page, the budget envelopes, we have three envelopes. We don't have a personal and a clothing anymore, but we do have one for Harper, and then we have a um, gas budget. So... These are ones that we thought that people would probably want. In your personal envelope, you probably want two of these. Because let's say Jacqueline and Richard, they want a certain amount of money. They decide, okay, I can't live on beans and rice, but I can stay within this means. I want $100 each to do whatever you want to with. This is your buy my new outfit or um, go to the movies with my friend fun, you know, or go to the movies with each other. Whatever you decide to do with your personal money, this is your personal money. You and your spouse decide on in advance how much you're going to have. So let's say they each want $100, they both get an envelope, and they put their $100 in it. And then that month, they spend their $100. It's like um, pocket money. You ever heard anybody say they just want a little pocket money? You say you're walking around, you want a Mountain Dew. You don't have to tell Jacqueline you want a Mountain Dew. You don't have to tell um, Loretta you want a Mountain Dew. You just take your personal money, and you get what you want out of your personal money. Um, So that's your personal money. Of course, clothing... If you wanted a clothing budget, if you wanted some money extra just for clothing, so you say your personal money is I'm going to buy myself snacks and go out to the movies and um, go out to dinner with friends, and that's going to be my personal money, then so clothing, you might want your own separate budget. This is the one that is really big in our family is the food budget one. So we have found that we can't set a budget at the beginning of the month and be as faithful to it 
as if we set a budget at the beginning of the week and we're faithful each week. Instead of having to be faithful for 30 days, we're faithful for seven. And then we start over and we have seven more days and then seven more. And that's what we found works for us. So if we say we have $400 for groceries that month, at the beginning of each week, I put $100 in my envelope. Then I go to the grocery store, I spend X amount of dollars, and I have X amount of dollars left in my envelope. Now, if I... Want to go out to eat that week? We can do that. Say I have 20 bucks left and we decide, hey, we're going to go to Wendy's. We can do that. Or I can save it and then the next week after I buy groceries, I have 20 more and now we have $40 to go out to eat. Does that make sense? So we rebudget every week. That helps us stay the most accountable. Shannon has a funny story about the envelope system because we also have... These envelopes can be big and bulky, right? Not everybody wants to pack these around in their purse. We did that when we were first starting just to make, self, make ourselves accountable. But then we changed to clips. So all you have to do is take your money, stick it on here, clip it, and stick that in your billfold. It's very tiny. I usually carry it in mine because I have a bigger billfold, of course, than Shannon, like a girl wallet. Um, and then at the top, you can see this one used to say dates. So if we were going to go on a date that month, we would allocate that amount of money. Valentine's Day, Christmas, whatever you're going to do. Um, so it would be dates. And we would allocate that amount of money. Well, one month I gave Shannon a set of paper clips that were uh, hearts and um, dollar signs and things like that that I had instead of these. So I'll let you tell him, tell him how that went. <laughs> well, first of all, I had to sort man up. <laughs> because I'm walking around with, with hearts and stars in my billfold. <laughs> so I did that first of all. I had to have a little come to Jesus with my, with my masculinity a little bit. Uh, but after I got over that and started getting used to it, um, one day I was going out to, I, I can't remember, we were needing to buy something at the dollar store, and this was in Corbin. And, of course, you know, we've got our, our money allocated for the week. You know, we've, I've got my paper clip, and you all can just pretend this was uh, a heart, okay? Because for whatever reason we decided that week or that month or whatever that the heart clip was going to represent food. Now, whatever you have available, you got to kind of figure it out, all right? We had hearts, all right? So we decided hearts would represent food. So I had a certain amount of money clipped under there that was allocated to food. So we were in Corbin, and I had to go in the dollar store and get something. Uh, Alex was in the car, and she was waiting on me, so I went inside. And I can't remember if it was a pop, chips, I don't know. It was something we just wanted in the moment, but we decided beforehand this money's for that, so we had permission to do that. So I go in, I get the stuff, and I'm going through the register, all right? And whenever I get there, the cashier, uh, it's, it's a girl. She's young. She's probably, I wouldn't have been surprised if she was 18 to 20, something like that. She was fairly young. So she rings me up. Going. Yeah, she, she <laughs> rings me up, and then uh, she says, okay, it's uh, 354 or whatever. So I go into the wallet, I pull out the wallet, and then I, for some reason I just blanked out and forgot about the clips for a minute because, you know, I'm so used to living this other lifestyle where I just pull out the debit card. All right, the money, having the physical money makes you more accountable, and I'm going to speak to that in just a second. But, you know, I go into the wallet, I pull out this uh, this money, and I hand her the 350 whatever, and I don't notice that this clip's still on it, okay? And it, it's a heart. <laughs> so, so I hand it to the cashier. Like I said, she's like 18, 20 years old, something like that. And I'm just standing there, you know, waiting for my change to come back, you know. How are you doing? Making small talk, that sort of thing. And then finally just this bewildered look comes over and, and, you know, what went, was started as like a nice conversation starts, she sort of, you know, her face gets a little flushed, and she kind of looks up at me, and she's, she holds out this heart, all right? 
And she says, sir, I don't know what this is, but you can have it back. <laughs> so so I, I was so embarrassed that, honestly, I couldn't have told you what she was handing to me. I mean, it was just when I saw it, just so, so many blood vessels erupted in my ears that, you know, I couldn't even hear. So I just said, thank you. And then I, I just took it. <laughs> I took it, and I, I left. So kind of a funny story. If, if you're going to use the clips and, and you're a man, just make sure you're ready for a little bit of uh, interesting interactions uh, at the dollar store. You can just paint regular cl- uh, clips. Don't if, get hearts. If you can avoid the hearts, do that. <laughs> for, for some reason, we could. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, the quick thing I want to share about the envelope system, uh, a lot of times people say when they go on a budget, the, the biggest... Um, reservation that they have about going on the budget, they, is they say, this is too restricting. You know, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. But the opposite of that, opposite of that is actually true. The budget gives you permission to spend, all right? All those thoughts you've had about financial infidelity, all those things you've worried about, about how am I going to pay for this, how am I going to do that, if you put it into an envelope that says personal, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you and your partner have allocated that much money for this month to whatever that envelope says. So you have permission to go out on the date to spend the personal. You have permission to go clothing shopping. You have permission, if you've allocated it, to go out to eat on such and such day and so on and so forth. So it's very freeing in that fact. It gives you a lot of peace of mind that you have this permission to spend. And the cool thing about having the envelopes, and this is something I realized early on, it's real easy to swipe a debit card and have no clue how much money you even have in there. I know Donald uh, mentioned sometimes that, um, well, I won't tell this story. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> he said sometimes, he said Rachel is, is a woman of faith, and I would say, you know, I'm a man of faith sometimes, you know. I walk in with the debit card, and I swipe it, and I just have complete faith that the money's going to be there. And it's not. <laughs> a lot of times it's not. So the thing about the envelope system is when Whenever you go into your wallet or Alex goes into her purse or, or you pull out the, the star clip <laughs> or whatever, it's very clear how much money is in your hand. It's very clear what that dollar's assignment is and how much you have left to use during that month for that purpose. So it's much more freeing in that way because it keeps and creates that idea of transparency. So we're getting ready to uh, wind things down here, but I'll uh, turn it back over to Alex just to talk a little bit very briefly about ways you can reduce your lifestyle and then some of the YouTube channels and apps that you can use in order to be more financially responsible. So reducing your lifestyle, like Shan says, this is the one that hurts, and there are particular ones that are going to hurt you or your partner when you think about them. Uh, Prepping meals at home at the beginning of the week, doing meal prep. Um, eliminating cable TV and picking up Netflix or Hulu. We, you know, found that we were spending way too much money on TV and TV packages that we weren't even watching, you know, because you want to record something, but then you want to skip through the commercials, just get Hulu or Netflix. For eleven ninety nine, you can skip all the commercials you want. There's lots of options. <laughs> um, I do also want to mention that if you get Amazon Prime, um, they have a free streaming service for the radio station. They have a free movie TV streaming service that comes with that. Plus, it's $50 for the year. You get free shipping on anything you're going to buy, and you can get a lot of your groceries through Amazon, and then you wouldn't have to go but to get your meat and your fresh produce at the local store. Um, and then in addition to that, they also allow you one free book a month on Kindle. So you get 
video streaming, you get the free shipping, you get free um, on-demand TV, and then the free Kindle book once a month. So you get all of your entertainment covered for $50 a year, which, out, which you know, equates to less than $10 a month. So if you wanted to do it that way as well. Um, reducing the speed of your internet package, like I said, that's the one that hurt Shannon's heart. But the next one hurt my heart. It was the reducing your monthly dining out budget. So you, Dave says that you only enter a restaurant if you are working there while you're trying to get out of your debt snowball. And I've told Shannon before, I said, he didn't say nothing about the drive-thru, honey. <laughs> we can take that loop. Okay? Alex found all kinds of loopholes. If you go through the drive-thru, you're not actually in the restaurant. So. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, so... The next thing there is establishing a monthly recreation fund in your budget and not spending beyond it. So let's say, you know, you want to have a budget and you don't want it to be so restrictive that you feel like you can't breathe and you want to have a little bit of uh, fun money is what we used to call it, fun money. And say that amount is $100 a month in your fun money fund, then you would try not to go over that $100. You would just set that aside and say, okay, with this, let's go to X place three times this month, wherever that is for you. Using coupons and promotions when you have to make a purchase. Um, there's some in particular that I'm going to share with you on the next page for this. And then refusing to upgrade your cell phone. Shannon is using his cell phone on speakerphone because we paid them off at the beginning of the year and he refuses to buy a new one. The headphone part working. doesn't work. <laughs> like literally right now I'm walking around the office at University of the Cumberlands with the speakerphone on just kind of talking to people. Now I'm not saying I'm going to live that way forever, but I'm saying... I'm using that sort of as a tool for myself to remind me exactly, you know, how serious and committed we want to be to God's purpose. Yeah. This is just a small sacrifice. And the other thing that Alex is going to mention is these cell phones, I mean, I bought one probably seven, eight years ago that pretty much does the exact same thing. I can check my email. I can make phone calls. I can get on Facebook. A lot of times the upgrades that they're saying are available aren't necessarily something that you have to have right now while you're sitting in, in the midst of a financial crisis. In fact, um, I'm, I'm due an upgrade, all right? And they've, uh, Verizon has, has done everything they can to get me into that store. I've got text messages. I've got emails. I've got phone calls. They're, begging, they're throwing everything in. They're, they're saying, please, come on down. Get your upgrade. <laughs> Everybody gets their upgrade. Why do you not want an upgrade? The reason I don't want an upgrade is because that adds uh, you know, an extra $100, $200 to my cell phone payment. And I'm using that money, rather, to allocate toward paying off the last cell phone <laughs> that I bought, the last guitar that I bought, the, the Big Mac that went on that 27% interest credit card. So it's just a way that, to myself at least, this is a way that I'm trying to be more financially responsible. So, yep. Um, another one that's not on here is even like packing your food when you're going to go somewhere. Like for us, coming back and forth to church is an hour, so we eat on the way here, and then we pack lunch, and we eat on the way home. And we don't do that every week, but the weeks that we are, we feel like, you know, you feel like good in your spirit, man. Even if your flesh man's like, I would really rather have some Wendy's or um, Quickie Market because you don't live here anymore, you know and you're eating your sandwich in the car, you're like, I would rather have this. But you feel good in your spirit, man, because you're like, okay, that was $10, $15 that we allocated in a different area of our life to get rid of the debt that we already had incurred. The last page here, before we go to the next steps, these are the people that really helped me when we started um, doing our financial 
fast, basically, is what we call it at our house. We're doing a financial fast. And what has helped me is to stay on budget is to follow these certain YouTube channels. And I gave you the ones that are my favorite that I follow that at night if Harper's asleep um, from 9 to 10, I can sit and watch before I go to bed. And so I have a budgeter's couple budgeter ones, budgeter and reducing your lifestyle. Of course, the Dave Ramsey show, he does three-hour podcast every day. You can watch it on YouTube and actually see the people come in and do their debt-free scream. I cry almost every time they do their debt-free scream because I'm like, that's going to be us. And it's just so moving to hear people say, you know, that with the Lord's help, they were able to work themselves out of financial bondage. And they got rid of all their masters so they can serve the one true king. So it's just so amazing to hear that and to see these little kids scream in the microphone, we're debt free and loving their mom and dads. It's, it's one that you want to watch and you want to watch it live. Um, Penny's into pearls. She lives in California, but she does a $400 monthly budget with a family of five. And it's, it's great. Um, so you can, and she will actually show her, you her budget, their numbers. They have one family income living in California. So if she can do it, anyone can do it. And her kids are all small, but um, it's called Pennies into Pearls. His and her money, they're also like Dave Ramsey, but they're not as, um, um, <laughs> Dave's kind of like in your face. <laughs> These people are really nice, and it's a, it's a couple that sit down, and they talk about their money. And they also have a, one that I just recently watched about financial infidelity where they had gotten married, and he thought, she thought that he was a certain type of person, you know, that didn't have a debt and things because he was working his way out of the hole. But once they got married, she worked at, like, um, a credit check type place, and she was able to pull his credit and saw that he had all kinds of outstanding loans. And even though he hadn't told her that, before they got married, they were able to work through it, um, but she goes through the process of what that felt like to find out that that, that that was going on kind of behind her back. Rachel Cruz is Dave Ramsey's daughter. She's really sweet and nice, and she gives you all kinds of budgeting tips, all kinds of clothing tips, um, things like that, so she's great. And then Freedom in a Budget, it's a lady that does Weight Watchers, and she goes to Aldi's and shops, and she shows you like how much food costs and what she bought to help with the weight loss process. Meal preppers, the domestic geek, mind over munch, clean and delicious, pick up limes, health nut nutrition, and fab lunch. Those are all um, healthy eating, and they do make some you know bad things that you would eat like uh, cinnamon rolls and things. But they all do meal prep, and so they have hundreds of videos. Um, the domestic geek actually even has a meal prep ebook that you can get, and if you get Amazon Prime, then of course you could get that for free. <laughs> so. It, it works out good. Okay, the apps that we particularly use in our house that I know are trusted that you can get money back from. The easiest one is Savings Catcher at Walmart. I have to just create a Walmart account. You scan your receipt, and then that receipt will go into their database. If they find a price that matches that, that's lower, then you'll get that amount of money back. If it's a dollar, if it's 50 cents, you still get that money back if, like, say, Kroger had it on sale, but they didn't. Um, Plus, you don't have to keep up with the paper receipt anymore because you've got it on your Walmart app. So if you have to take something back, you don't have to say, oh, where was that receipt? You've just got it there to pull up. The next one that um, is really easy is the McDonald's app. 
you just get a McDonald's app and you sign in, and there's like six coupons that's active all at, all the time, and mostly it's buy one, get one free on different items, or buy a certain burger and then get your fry free. So if you know, if you're a family that likes to go to the drive-thru every now and then, this is a good way to get to save some money there. They also have free fry Friday, so you get free french fries every Friday, um, and that's with any purchase. <laughs> Then the next one that's in line that's kind of easy is Ibotta. And they are in order at the bottom of what they look like based on this list. So that way you can reference them when you want to go get these apps later. But Ibotta, what it does is it actually gives you digital coupons for items that you would buy in the store anyway. So if you go to Walmart and you buy um, ice cream, there might be a coupon for $2 back on ice cream. You save up that money. Once you get $20, you can get that sent to you in um like Amazon or any type of gift card. We actually had it sent to our PayPal account when I checked out and got my, it was like $35 that I'd saved. So it, that was $35 extra dollars. We didn't have to allocate in the budget. We could do what we wanted to with that $35 because it came from just couponing. Um, Checkout 51 is the same. You get, it doesn't go by stores. So Ibotta goes by stores, Walmart, Kroger, things like that. Checkout 51, it just goes by product that you buy. Ebates, I just wanted to throw this one in there. You may or may not be familiar with Ebates, but currently there's like a hot sale on Ebates. Walmart, anything you buy there is 10% cash back right now. Normally it's just 1%. So say you spent $100 at Walmart on baby diapers, like we're getting ready to do on Friday, then we get $10 back. So it's just free money that you can, they send you a check every month that you use Ebates. And so you can go through any store that they offer on their website. Last thing, while Shan's coming over, go ahead and take out, you don't have to actually take out your um, debt snowball chart from last week if you didn't bring it, but you can take out your purse, your wallet, your billfold, anything that to you represents finances in your house. And then if you're not with your spouse, you may want to move to be next to your spouse because we're going to pray over those finances. Yeah, last week I said bring your debt snowball, and I told you we weren't going to look at it, your, your debt snowball chart. If you didn't do that, that's okay. Take out your wallet, take out your purse, take out something that represents finances to you because we're going to pray over that and we're going to bless that. And then we're going to give you next steps and get out of here. So once you have that, just kind of hold it up and look at me and I'll know everybody's ready to pray and make a new commitment to financial stewardship. All right. You guys ready? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you first of all that you have laid these things in our hands. These are not things that we have created. Father, these are things that you have purposely instilled in our lives. Any sort of finance that is inside this wallet, inside this purse, anything that's listed on these charts. Father, we know that these are provisions that you have given to us so that we can give them back to your people. So that we can serve the orphans. So that we can serve the widows so that we can serve the broken, the addicted, the afflicted. Father, these are not our funds. Help us to have a spiritual awakening in our mind to realize that what we hold in our hands right now belongs to you and to you alone. Father, you could have told us to give you the 90% and live on the 10, and that would have been perfectly within what you would be able to do, God, because it's all yours anyway. But Lord, you've given us provision. Father, we're sitting in an air-conditioned room and we're having the, the ability to even talk about our finances. Father, right now we are blessed beyond measure. And anything that we think 
that we're missing in our lives, really we understand that that's just part of you and your spirit that we're actually missing. So, Father, I pray for a fresh indwelling of your spirit. I pray that it would invade not only our hearts, not only our minds, but also these wallets and these purses and these pieces of paper, God. I pray that you would renew our mindset and give us a fresh vision, Father, a a vision that heralds in the next great move of what you're going to do. Lord, give us the character and the integrity to do it. Lord, give us the faith to do it. Father, let us understand that this is an act of worship as we begin to pour out our finances and we begin to serve your purposes and not ours. Lord, let us put our purpose in the rearview mirror. Let us face forward, God. Let us take these wallets. Let us take these purses. Let us take these pieces of paper that have these lists of masters and these other things that we are serving and let us give those on to you. Father, for you have a great work ahead of this church. You have a great work ahead of your people. And we want to be mindful of that today, starting right now. Lord, we pray that you would impress this upon our hearts and impress this upon our spirits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, two minutes. I know we're over time. Just next steps real, real briefly. Homework. Download the EverDollar app. Check it out. See if it's something that will work for you. Or get the paper budget rolling, and there's different ways to do that. We shared doing it in a notebook. Last week we gave you an actual handout where you can list those things on the paper. Watch the financial infidelity video. If you have a QR code scanner on your phone, you can scan this QR code in the bottom right-hand corner. It's a video by Rachel Cruz. It's only about two minutes this week. Last week it was 30 minutes. If you had an opportunity to watch that, it's life-changing. And then next week we're going to talk about the subject of giving. All right? So with that said, we'll go ahead and dismiss. If you all have questions, you can come and we can answer those for you. Thank you guys so much. God bless.